Thank you, Alan. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Good place to be. The air conditioner is running and it's going to be hot. And so uh, we'll just enjoy our time together. Um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask that you open up to Ephesians, the first chapter. I know we're going through Romans, but uh, I've taken just a, a little sidestep here uh, this month to kind of look at some, uh, some key ideas uh, such as our calling, being chosen and elect by God. We've looked at last week as well, grace. This week we're going to dig into the aspect of redemption. Thank you, Mark, uh, for your message. It ties in beautifully. Um, and then next week we'll kind of look at providence. All these are, 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 are statements and, and ideas that are going to be very prominent within the book of Romans. And I wanted to get these uh, firmed up so that we just don't overlook them as we go along and just kind of rush through it. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is going to really give us an idea about redemption. It was almost 1 o'clock in the morning and the telephone rang. Uh, Dr. Leo Winters, uh, a very prominent, highly acclaimed physician and surgeon up in Chicago, was abruptly awakened. There had been an accident, and his um, abilities were requested at the hospital there in Chicago. So he got ready, and, and he hurried up, and he got in his car, and he took off heading to the hospital. But on his way to the hospital, he had to drive through one of the more, we'll call them friendly parts of Chicago, and as he approached a stoplight, his door was open from the outside, and a man grabbed him and yanked him out of the car and said, I need your car, and he got in and took off. Dr. Winters was just confused, and, and he didn't understand what had just happened. By the time he was able to get a taxi and get to the hospital, it was an hour late. He found out that the patient that had had the accident had died about 30 minutes prior to his arrival. Somebody there at the hospital told him that the patient's father was uh, back in the waiting room was wondering why it was that it took the doctor so long to get there. So he made his way walking to uh, the waiting room in the chapel area. And as he approached, he saw a man with this gray hat and a dark flannel shirt, which he recognized. It was the same man who had just yanked him out of his car on his way to the hospital. It was the father of the child who had been killed. Sometimes we don't realize that the people that we push out of our lives, the people that we do these things to are the ones who in reality are the ones we need that can save us. Unfortunately, that goes as well when it comes to our own salvation, our own redemption is that we push the one who has the ability to save us from the penalty and the, and the power of sin that brings upon our own death. Countless numbers of people turn away from the one who can save them from their emptiness, their confusion, their, their hopelessness, and their enslavement to their own sinful ways because they don't want him and they think that they've got things under their own control. They're too busy for the one who can deliver them and who can redeem them from their meaningless life. And they can't seem to find that it is he who is the one that they need. And it's so tragic because... Things would be so different in their lives if they would just acknowledge what he is offering them. Redemption. Jesus Christ came into our world 
he tells us to save us, to save sinners. He wants us to understand that, that um, even at his birth, the angels of the Lord came and, and there above the, the skies in Bethlehem, they pronounced the fact that he was born. But before that moment, in the quietness of a house, where Joseph was awakened in this dream, the angel spoke to him as well and told him there in Matthew one twenty one, as he speaks about his betrothed, his, his lovely lady that he's about to marry, Mary. And he says that she will bear a son and you shall call him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus then refers to himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as a son of man. And he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the heavenly in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us all, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Our morning text uses another word for being saved. It uses the word redemption. Redemption. And Mark told us that, that he's a redeemer. The individual who brings redemption is the one who redeems us. And here in verse 7, Paul declares that we have this redemption through our redeemer, which is Jesus Christ, and it's through his blood. So Paul begins his letter to Ephesians rejoicing in this blessing of redemption, that we no longer have to be slaves to our own sin. So again, I, I like to do little word studies as we've been doing lately and just kind of tying into some of these ideas of what it means. So let's jump into the Old Testament and look at some of the words that are used to translate for our language, redeem or redemption. All right. There's ga'al. Ga'al means to redeem, to deliver, to avenge, or to act as a kinsman, or as Mark said earlier, the guardian redeemer, all right? That is the one closest to you has the responsibility to redeem you and to deliver you. It, the word is used about 90 times in the Old Testament, and primarily it's used in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, or Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also used in Psalms and Isaiah and in the book of Ruth as well. 
Its basic use had to do with the deliverance of persons or property from bondage that may have been sold for a debt. All right? And so the responsibility of the Redeemer was the one who was the nearest relative. Usually it was a brother, an uncle, an uncle's son, a, a cousin, or, or some kind of blood relative within the family. And the person then who was redeemed, the one with the financial difficulties was known as, or who was to do that, was the kinsman redeemer. It was in reference to taking care of maybe somebody had been murdered in your family then all of a sudden you became the, instead of the redeemer, the avenger of blood. You had a responsibility for those within your family. It was the duty was to execute all these things that were necessary because of your family member. Most often, however, this word ga'al is used in reference to God in his redemption of the people of Israel bringing them back out of their slavery, out of their bondage, out of their captivity. He is the one who redeems them. There's another word called pada. It means to redeem or to ransom. All right? That word indicates to us that there is someone that is intervening with some kind of substitutionary act to, to purchase us back because of an undesirable condition that we have found ourselves in. And so he's going to lay some money on the line. Usually it is, it is the payment that has to be made of some sort in order for us to become free. When God is the subject of this padah, the word emphasizes is upon his complete sovereign freedom to liberate people from themselves and from their bondage. Oftentimes God redeems Israel or, or individuals, but primarily this word Padah is used of God as redeeming all of a group of people, the Israelites. There's a third word that is used in the Old Testament, kafar. Kafar means to ransom, to atone. We heard that word as well, right? An atoning sacrifice. An expiate or to propitiate. Those are other unique words that are biblical. In other words, kafar has this... this uh, um, interesting range it's a technical term that is used in the sacrificial system of israel the basic meaning of kafar is this it it denotes that there was some kind of a material transaction that took place to ransom somebody else from their sins and so it was used by the priest that they would offer up something for the people to god because of their sins this is where the sacrificial system comes in. So the kafar was the, the ransom that was being paid, which was the, the sheep or the goat or the dove or whatever it was that would then be sacrificed on the altar for the people. There's another word that is used, ga'ula, which means the right of redemption. That word is used in regarding the deliverance of people or property that have been sold for debt as well. And the law required that the right of redemption or land of, of, of persons had to be protected. And so he made some statements out there that as the people of Israel had acquired their land by his promise, your family would receive a certain section of land. That was your family's property, and it would always stay within your family's property. However, you could sell it. Well, I don't really want to use that term, sell. 
you would get yourself in financial debt and you would need money, so you would go to somebody else who would give you the money to pay off your debt, and in return, you would give them that land until the year of Jubilee. Now, every 50 years, the people of Israel celebrated a year of Jubilee. What a celebration! Because even though you sold your land to pay off a debt, after 50 years, you get it back. So I don't really mean it's a sale, more of a lease, and then eventually you would get it back. But within this gula, it would be that somebody would have the opportunity to go and pay off the debt that you had, but it would be prorated. So let's say you got 10 years into the, after the year of Jubilee, and you sold your land to pay off a debt. Now they've only got the land possibly for 40 years. All right? But 10 more years come by, and the person still has it for another 30 years, but you want to buy it back. Normally, you're not the one to buy it back. Somebody else would buy it back for you. And they would pay the rest of the 30 years of whatever prorated amount it was. So these are areas in which you could redeem things and to get them back to being into a position where they're, they're free or they're useful for the person who really they belong to. Now, if we jump into the New Testament, we're going to find a few words that are used as well to, to be translated this word redemption. Lutroo means to release on receipt of ransom. Now, it's used in the middle voice most often, meaning that you're to, to release by paying a ransom in order to redeem. So we know that people will often kidnap people. We see that even in our world today. And they will request a ransom. If you want your son back, give us money. Lutroo means I'm going to pay you so I can have back to free you from your captivity. All right, so that's this word that is being used here. Delivering the people of Israel, it would be used about bringing them away from the, the powerful control of the Roman Empire and freeing them from their yoke of slavery to Rome. In the spiritual sense, this word is used about Christ in redeeming people from our iniquities and our sins. There's another word very similar to it, lutrosis, which means the redemption or the ransoming or the releasing. Usually it's used in, in the aspect of just a, a general sense of delivering and freeing the people of Israel as a whole, but it's also used of the redemptive work of Christ when it speaks about what he did on the cross in his death for our sins. There's another word, apolutrosis, which means to release or redemption. It has the state of being redeemed for a ransom. Now, it's used a few different ways. One way it's used is when somebody is being physically tortured, you can pay somebody to stop and set them free. That's one way in which you could use it. Another way that it is used is the deliverance of people of God when Jesus comes again at the second coming we are redeemed and set free at that point another way it's translated it's used for the forgiveness and justification because of our our sins and so it has a little extra um, meaning that ties along with it it's not just that you are forgiven of your sins and you are justified as if you had not been sinned but now it sets you free and it liberates you to do as you enjoy. But there's a final way that this word is used. 
It's the used in the deliverance of believers over the power of sin and the corruption that comes from it so that when Jesus comes again, sin will no longer ever have any control over us. That word redemption was a word that is commonly used in marketplaces. That's just the way it was commonly used, where, where people primarily were being sold to the highest bidder. We don't see that in America today, and yet it goes on in our world. There is still human trafficking and slavery that takes place. And for the highest bidder, you can have somebody. And so they would then go in, and if somebody had been captured and was now being sold into slavery, the Redeemer is the person who would come into that marketplace and buy them back for their freedom, not for their use as a slave. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Their only hope of redemption for a person like this was when somebody else would come and purchase him and set him free. So without God's intervention, Paul is telling us in the book of Ephesians, we would be sold off into slavery because of our sin and never to have freedom again. But through the blood of Jesus, we have been redeemed. He has paid the penalty, has paid the price to set us free. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus makes this statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin traps us. It holds us. It it, it controls us so that we can't do the things that we really want. And we're always doing whatever it demands in our lives. It surrenders us over to the power of Satan. I mean, a lot of times, no matter how hard we try in life, it seems like our sin controls us. And our sins are varied. There are so many different ways. Some of us may have sins that we struggle with lust or anger or pornography or, or, or uh, envy or covetousness or lying or maybe we got materialism in our heart or there's other destructive and harmful behaviors that we have in our lives. Sin is so destructive. And in our natural unsaved condition, we're at the mercy of our sin, are we not? And we just can't seem to stop. Sin ruins relationships. It wrecks lives. It destroys hopes and dreams. And it brings misery, pain, and regret. And we somehow just can't seem to overcome it. But only our hope in Jesus Christ and what He has done for us redeems us offers us that freedom from the penalty of sin. So, describing what God has done for us, Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through His blood. And then He offers to set us free from our bondage because He's willing to pay the ransom price for us. Listen to what Hebrews 9.22 says. Indeed, under the law, everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's what? There's no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. 
There is no way that we can have our sins forgiven. So, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're delivered from our guilt of our past sins, but only part of that means that, that to be ransomed. Our present and future condition as well is impacted because of the redemptive work that he has done for us. No longer are we held captive to sin because the power of sin has no control over us once we have been redeemed. Satan has no power over us once we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers through his blood. We are delivered by Christ and we are saved from our old lifestyle. And he introduces us to a new and a better life. So Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 36, If the Son sets you free, what? You will be free Indeed, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Now, through the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit, we then have the ability to say no to sin when we're tempted. So we're ransomed and we're delivered to live our lives to the fullest in ways that we can never fully understand before. You don't have to live your life held captive by your sins. Because after redemption takes place, the sins of your past have no hold on you. The penalty has been paid. We've talked about there's two ways to heaven, either by the grace of God or by perfect and obedience to the law. Righteousness is only made by the grace of God or by perfection and obedience. Now once that penalty is paid, your sins are absolved, they're gone. But for most of us, it's too late because we're dead. All right? We, because that means the penalty is death. So we can't have an opportunity for life after that unless it's by the grace of God. In our text this morning, Paul rejoices in this incredible blessing that comes with redemption. He emphasizes that there are some blessings that are result of what he does for us. And I want us to, to look at three of these. This is what redemption brings to us and gives us. Forgiveness, grace, and discernment. And Paul is rejoicing in them, and I think we should as well. So let's begin with the aspect of forgiveness that comes through the redemptive work of Jesus. In verse 7, Paul calls our attention to the blessing of forgiveness. Um, I once read this statement. It said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have given us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sends us a Savior. Forgiveness is one of the blessings of redemption. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus makes this statement at the Last Supper. As he's taking of the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, and he says that this is going to be a new covenant that he's going to make with them. So listen to what he says there in verse 28. He says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. All right? Forgiveness absolves us from all the punishment that we deserve for the wrongdoings that we have done and every one of our sins can be covered by the death of Christ first John 1 9 says this if we confess our sins 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But not just that. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has promised us in Jeremiah 31, 34, he makes this statement. He says, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now that's a lot better to me because I always remember sins, don't you? I remember my sins and I remember the sins that other people have committed against me. Right? That's, just, that's, that's how we are. All right? We remember. But God says, not only am I going to forgive their sins, but I'm not even going to remember them. And I look forward to the day when I stand before God and I say, God, I'm sorry for that moment. Do you remember when I... And he says, I don't remember that. He remembers them no more. He will never bring it up in a conversation where we have a disagreement. Well, yeah, John, but I remember the time you did and I forgave you for that. No, he doesn't remember it. His forgiveness is so much greater than our forgiveness. John Ruskin... He was an English critic of art, architecture, and society back in the 19th century. He was also a very gifted painter and poet. Once he was shown this very expensive handkerchief that had been made, but an ink blotter had spilled over on it and the ink had stained it. Without saying anything, he took it and he left. Later he came back, and when he presented it to its owner... Who, who thought that nothing could be done with it and that it was absolutely worthless then because of this stain of ink upon it. In a most skillful and artistic fashion, Ruskin had used that stain of ink and turned it into a beautiful masterpiece of painting. He used India ink around it and he formed this beautiful thing and brought the value of this handkerchief back to life. And I want you to know this. Because of redemption, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. A stained and blotted life that seems hopeless and useless to us when Christ allows his blood to cover us, he creates something that is new and something that is beautiful and something that has more value than we ever had before. Redeemed, we're forgiven and set free to live lives to the fullest. And every day we should rejoice in the forgiveness that comes from redemption. The second thing is this. Through redemption, we receive the fullness of grace. And that's, this is amazing. God's process of setting us free from our sin and, and, and through the grace that brings us our salvation, it comes through His redemptive work. You understand that? It, it, he had to surrender His life upon a cross and His blood had to be shed so that we could experience grace. So Paul tells us in, in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 7 and 8, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? The riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. 
the riches of his grace. I mean, that's all the wonderful things that he gives us and he does for us is done because of the redemptive work and buying us back out of our slavery to sin. We don't deserve it. But God's grace is applied. His unmerited favor in our life is bestowed upon us in redemption. He gives us what we as sinners could never earn on our own. Now, now the Greek word that Paul uses here for grace is a word that is often used of when you are presented before royalty. You, you, you've passed the muster. You, you've been cleared. I mean, in today's age, it means you'd have to go through all the secret service and the clearing of making sure that your background check is, is perfect in order that they have no fear of you standing before them, all right? And so the grace of God does that for us. It enables us by making sure that everything about us is going to be acceptable to stand before God, when we come to Christ with a sense of need and a spirit of repentance, God redeems us and he pours out his grace upon us. He blesses us in countless ways that are life-changing. And there's a lot of people who will tell you how God has redeemed them and has changed them from who they were in the past. And they are so thankful for what he's done. Lou Johnson he was a, a baseball player. In 1965, he played a, a very pivotal role in the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers World Series game. The problem was <clears throat> Lou had a struggle as well with drugs and alcohol. And he sold some of his prized possessions to a drug dealer so he could get his fix and then would come back with money. But the drug dealer took off with his things. He tried for 30 years to recover the championship ream that he'd locked to those drug dealers in 1971. It wasn't just his ring, he lost his uniform, his glove, and the bat that he used to, to hit the winning home run that brought in the deciding game there. Now, when Dodgers president Bob Graziano learned that Johnson's World Series ring was about to be auctioned off, he personally wrote out a check for $3,457 before it went out on the auction. And he bought the ring to give to Lou. He redeemed it, and he gave it to him. And Lou at least had his World Series ring back before he died. But that's what God does for us. We sold our lives to sin, and sin ran away, and we couldn't buy it back. No matter how hard we try, no matter how far we look, we're never going to find the ability to redeem for ourselves that which we've given away. But God, through Jesus, redeemed us so that we can receive His grace. Grace 
is an amazing thing. It's the result of redemption, and it's a demonstration to sinners through God's blessing. He blesses us by saving us from the past penalty, from the penalties of our sins. He, he, he blesses us with giving us victory over the power of sin that it has in our life. He blesses us by providing us with countless and often miraculous ways. And in John 1.16, Jesus speaks of this when he says, from this For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And that comes through his redemption. Now, the blessings of God because of the redeeming aspect that he offers through Jesus and his grace, a man by the name of John Newton began to understand. He was raised in a Christian home and for several years until his parents died. And then John went to live with relatives where he was mistreated, he was abused, he was ridiculed. So much so because the abuse was unbearable that even at a young age, he ran off and he left home to escape it. He fled, he joined the Royal Navy, and from there his life went downhill. He, He became a drunkard and a brawler and deserted the Royal Navy, he joined up with a slave trader, and his life continued to disintegrate and spiral out of control. One day, he stole the ship's whiskey, and he got so inebriated that he fell overboard. And he was close to drowning until one of the other shipmates harpooned him to bring him back on board. As a result, he had this huge scar in his side for the rest of his life. Finally, one time during a storm, a very violent storm, he began to reflect upon the Bible verses that his parents had taught him just before they had died. And he reached out to Jesus and his life was redeemed. He was forgiven and by God's grace, his life didn't end at that point. John Newton While he had been a wretch of a man, he drastically had his life changed because of what Christ had done for him and the grace that was so offered. He was a new creation in Christ. And the grace of God extended to his life. He matured in Christ and he enjoyed a marriage that was an example to many other people. I think this is it. When we, no matter how far down we have fallen into sin. When we accept the gift that is offered in Jesus to redeem us, to receive the forgiveness of our sins and the grace that brings salvation, that changes our lives for the better, that's probably the smartest thing we could ever do. But there's one other thing that comes as a result of redemption. It's discernment. Paul mentions this blessing that comes with redemption there in verse 8 when he says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Sometimes the translations may say wisdom and understanding or wisdom and prudence. All right, But wisdom and insight or discernment, those are consequences of redemption. These are things that happen as a result of what He does for us. And they enable us to live a life 
that is so much better than what we could live on our own, victoriously. Kent Hughes, he says it this way. He says, wisdom is the knowledge which sees to the heart of things, which knows them as they really are. Wisdom is the knowledge to see to the heart of things, which knows them as they really are. Wisdom, discernment, insight, understanding. We get a better picture of life through the blood of Jesus than we do on our own. You see, on our own, we only see, they told, you know, rose gutter glasses, right? We really can't see the fullness of things because it's clouded. We may think we know the truth, but we just don't see it. We're colorblind to those things. We were out the other day looking at some things, and, and my wife mentioned the different colors in some of the rocks there, and I went, I don't see them. And, and I'm, I've got color blindness. And so there are some things that they just all look gray, <laughs> you know? And I'm missing it. They have invented these new glasses that people will put on and you can see colors that you've never seen before. That is what the redemptive work of Jesus does for us. It enables us to have this discernment and this wisdom, this insight, this prudence, this understanding of things that we could never fully understand before because we could not understand it. It was because we weren't looking through Christ. And his redemption gives us this new insight, this new discernment. Discernment is this, this, it enables us to avoid being duped by the promises of sin. And we get to see the truth that is really there. Discernment is a tremendous blessing because it enables us to make the right choices. It gives us keen perception and judgment, godly insight into things, which discernment can help us avoid the mistakes of life that we would not normally be able to understand. It helps us to avoid the, the evil choices and travel down the right path rather than the wrong path. We're not fooled into succumbing to things which on the surface appear right, but really they're destructive. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but what? But in its end... It's the way to death. That is where your brothers and sisters, maybe your parents, maybe your friends, or it might be your children, it might be your neighbor, they think they're living a right life, a good life, a wonderful life. But without Christ and His redemption, it's death. It's not going to get them where they really ultimately want to be. And we're the same way without Jesus. You see, discernment protects us from the harmful, the ungodly, the worldly behavior and its pursuits. It keeps us from living from the things that can, can't satisfy us and don't last and enables us to see the choices that are godly. Focus on the things in life that are most important, like our relationship with God. God's wisdom and discernment which come to us when we are redeemed enable us to live life as God designed us to live. 
So when someone asks you, well, how you doing? How do you answer? Man, I, sometimes I just say, redeemed. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. I'm redeemed. I've been bought. I have been purchased. And everything is made right. 1927, an Irish scientist, Adrian Stokes, was, he was able to isolate the yellow fever virus with two other scientists that were working with him. And they provided yellow fever was caused by a virus and not a bacteria. Now this is significant. Right? This is extremely significant because yellow fever virus became the very first human virus to be isolated. Now, we've been dealing with viruses a lot lately, haven't we? All right? It was a, a, a virological landmark. It was not achieved in the laboratories of Europe or China or even the United States of America, but it was, it was discovered in a makeshift laboratory in Lagos, Nigeria, and in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. Now here's something that you really need about this. During the research, listen to this, during the research, a yellow fever survivor who was named Asibi, he provided his own blood for the research. From Asibi's blood, the yellow fever virus called the Asibi strain was isolated. Now this marked a historic moment in the fight against yellow fever. As Asibi's blood was actually eventually used to develop the first successful vaccine. In fact, all of the yellow fever vaccines that had been manufactured since 1927, either through the Rockefeller Foundation or other health agencies, is derived from that original strain. This is what's unique. From one man, all vaccines for yellow fever virus has the ability to help them overcome. Carried down even to this present day from one laboratory to another through repeated cultures and by enormous multiplication, it has offered immunity to the yellow fever virus to millions of people in many countries. And through the creative uh, imagination of science, the blood of this one man in West Africa has been made available to serve the whole human race. Has anybody here ever had the yellow fever vaccine? There's a few of you. From that one man, you were protected. The blood of another man makes available a vaccine for the entire human race in his redemptive work to free us from the virus of sin and death and that's Jesus Christ redemption is ours as Paul says again in Ephesians 1 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace Jesus offers to redeem us 
Do you want his vaccine? Do you want what he has to offer to you? I mean, I challenge you to reach out to Jesus, to surrender to his lordship, to allow him to work his grace in your life, to accept the fact that he has purchased you with his blood. Don't push away from your life the only one who can save you, the only one who can shame you, the only one who can redeem you. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for what you have done for us in your Son. What we ourselves are powerless to do incapable of being able to buy back our own righteousness because we're guilty. Father, we have been stained by our own sins and the value that we once thought we were isn't there. But through the blood of your Son, Jesus, our Redeemer, our kinsman, Redeemer, our guardian redeemer, the one who has the ability to make things right. His blood sets us free. Father, may we not take for granted the gift that he offers. Help us to embrace it. To acknowledge that it is only through him that we can be saved. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.